You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Dave, how are you doing today? Not bad, Nick. How are you? Good. Excited to uh, have our podcast today. We have a special guest on with us today. We do. Mr. Ian Richardson from Richardson and Richardson Consulting. Uh, Ian, we know we've known Ian for several years now, um, and his uh, one of his firms has been helping us with IT stuff, Doberman Technologies, and we've been using them for, was it? two, three, close to three years now, I think, somewhere around there. So, and and Ian is actually our first repeat guest on the podcast. We had him um, last year to talk about some IT cybersecurity type stuff. And with everything going on in the world, we thought it'd be a great time to bring him back and um, pick his brain again. So welcome, Ian. Hey, thanks, Nick. Thanks, Dave. Good Good to be here with you both on a wonderful Friday afternoon. (laughs) <laughs> what better way to spend it, right? Oh, absolutely. It's sun shining, but it's still cold outside. Let's do a podcast. Yeah, yeah right. Right. Look out the window and pretend it's nice. So yeah, we, right. you know, as Nick said, Ian, Ian joined us last year and we're kind of rehashing some of the same ground. But, you know, Nick and I, when we were talking about topics, the same questions keep coming up from clients and with some of the things going on in the world, it seems a little more acute right now. So uh, we thought maybe uh, maybe going back and reinforcing some of the things we've talked about to see how it all holds together these days. Yeah, and you know, with how fast things change technology-wise, I'm sure there's new stuff out there anyways, because it's been probably a year since we've had Ian on. So technology moves a lot faster than you and I, Dave. Yeah, it evolves evolves really, really rapidly. One of the things that I'm always a fan of doing is just holding up a cell phone and saying, this didn't exist 10 years ago. And in 10 years, it won't exist, right? That's uh, everything changes rapidly when it comes to technology. So it's, uh, it's good to have a refresher and it's good to talk about the world as it exists today. And, uh, as you alluded to, Nick, with everything going on uh, across the pond, there's a heightened level of uh, technology risk for people these days that it's good to be aware of. If you wouldn't mind, Ian, one of our, our questions, burning questions that I've had at least, is with everything going on in Russia, you see cyber hacks in the news and in the, the Russian cyber crime team, I, I think... Mm-hmm. When I think of that, I think of, you know, a bunch of dudes in a basement somewhere trying to hack into my personal computer. So probably not quite accurate, but if you wouldn't mind kind of giving us a little debrief on what you're seeing on that end and what maybe we should be looking out for. So the FBI and uh, CISA, the CISA, which are two federal agencies, uh, one, one obviously in law enforcement and, and CISA, the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, are, are both putting out widespread, almost almost like a bolo, right? Uh, th- these are widespread, targeted to everyone in America notices about increased activity from Russia, Ukraine, and China, Iran, the usual suspects, right? Um, and so if you think about it, what, what I'd like to focus on is what you said, Nick, like thinking about people hanging out in their basements targeting you. 
Really, uh, what people need to understand is there's kind of two actors these days when it when it comes to attacks or cyber breaches or or incidents that involve people and businesses. And one of them are people who are trying to get in through the front door. And then there are the people who actually launch the attacks. So there are organized groups of criminals, both backed by nation states like Russia, as well as independent, like the independent operators, organized crime, Al Capone of today, that the whole job they do is just trying to get people's usernames and passwords either for your business, for your personal life, whatever. They're information brokers about people's identities. And so if they manage to get into your email or get into your Dropbox or get into your Google account or whatever they might get access to, they then try those that same username and password combination as well as any common variations, one, two, different capital letters, etc., Against the 500 most commonly used websites, so banks, emails, office supply houses, you know, insurance companies, things of that nature, to see if you're reusing a username, password, whatever, they bundle it all up and they sell it online. So if it's a person, they might sell your identity for 20 bucks to someone on the dark web. So these guys don't do attacks. All they care about is getting access to your stuff. And then they sell that verified access to someone else who doesn't attack. So a personal person is not going to be a target of Russia or the mob or whatever. But you absolutely might be an accidental victim of one of these identity brokers. And that's what's going to happen to all of us is that they're just they're running a Walmart model. They're launching attacks against everyone all the time trying to get access. And so the FBI has been really, really good at distributing information about that sort of a technique, what they're using, how they're getting access, how they're tricking people into giving away their usernames and passwords. And so everyone on the call does need to be, or who's listening to the podcast, uh, does need to be aware that this is what this is what the world is today. This is a huge moneymaker for organized crime. In fact, cybercrime makes more revenue for organized criminal actors than all other forms of revenue combined. So it's bigger wow. than the drug trade. It's bigger than extortion. It's bigger than trafficking. It's bigger than weapons. All of them put together is less money than cybercrime. That's an uh, interesting perspective. I never would have, uh, never would have thought that. It's scary. That's uh, and so like that kind of puts when you get that perspective. That's why everyone needs to take this seriously. We can't play the ostrich. We can't stick our head in the sand. We can't pretend it won't happen to us. It's it is the reality of the world that this is what's happening. And it's got nothing to do with hey, I don't like Americans or hey, I don't like you or whatever. It's just about money. It's just yeah. an economic play for, for individuals and organizations. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. In, in that context, Ian, is the, it, you know, Russia and, and what's going on in Ukraine have, have grabbed everybody's attention, but is, has that materially changed the cybersecurity situation? Or is it just kind it of hasn't, um, it, it has and it hasn't. So this has been going on for a while. Um, cyber incidents 
are increasing from Russian nation state actors because they're using the funds gained from the illicit from the illicit activities to fund the military operations. So Russian backed actors will and this is primarily against businesses, not necessarily individuals, but if they nab an individual, they go into the pot too. They'll mm-hmm. ransomware your stuff, they'll take your emails hostage, they'll steal your identity, whatever. And however, whatever funds they're able to extract from you, whether that's in a ransomware payment or they stole your bank account information and drained your bank accounts, whatever they were able to get goes into that slush fund that the Russian military is using to fund Ukraine. So indirectly, yes, it's increased the level of activity, but it hasn't changed what people were already doing. It is shining a light down saying, hey, this is news. And and one of the problems in America is we have a very short attention span. If, if you think about any sort of news activity or what's what you know what's going on in the world, it's what's the story of the day, what's the crisis right. of today, and the news right. story of today will be old news tomorrow. So, unfortunately, even if this drops out of attention, even if it's not being reported on CNN or Fox or wherever you consume your media from, it's still happening in the background. It just means people got bored of talking about it. <laughs> you mentioned the FBI putting out information about some of the different things that are going on. Is there a good source uh, that you can follow that kind of gives you updates on what's out there and what to look out for? F- FBI.gov and uh, the the CISA, so CISA.gov, both have newsletters that an individual or an organization can subscribe to to get public-facing updates. The FBI, in addition, for anyone who is interested in taking extra steps, you can submit your information for a background check and be added to news alerts for qualified individuals. So this verifies that you're a U.S. citizen, that you don't have felony records, that you're not likely to use this information for uh, ill intent. But then you can be given cybersecurity information on the back end. So if there are some users on here who want to go through those extra steps, they could absolutely submit information and be uh, added to those back channel lists provided by the FBI. CISA has a lot of guidelines, both for individuals and organizations that are published out. Some other good resources is NIST, the National Institute for Standards and Technology, as a cybersecurity framework that's uh, pretty easy to understand about protection, detection, response and recovery, as well as uh, identification on the on the front end on what's important. There's a lot of really, really good resources. And if anyone listening has uh, has specific questions or specific needs, reach out to Nick or Dave, and, and I'm more than happy to try to send you some resources to follow up on. That's great. Yeah, we'll definitely um, throw those in the show notes for people that want to take a look at those. And, and I know I subscribe to the Federal Trade Commission, which touches a little bit on mm-hmm. cybersecurity, but a lot more like phone scams and things like that, too. Which are a whole a whole different thing, right? So if yeah. anyone claiming to be from any level of the U.S. government or even state and, uh, and to somewhat local governments is calling you on the phone, it's not the government agency. They <laughs> use the United States Postal Service or they show up at your office. <laughs> the IRS will never call you. Social Security is not going to send you a text asking you to verify your Social Security number. 
It will not happen. Not legitimately. Correct. They're always going to send you a letter and tell you how to contact them. Yeah, most of those places, if if they're uh, if they want to talk with you, you'll know about it, and you'll know it's oh, them. Oh yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll get that magical letter with the IRS letterhead on it, and your day will suddenly be awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. speaking yeah, of that experience. A, yeah, that, that's a that's a subject for a whole another podcast. Uh, IRS notice. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> A lot of the a lot of the questions we've been fielding, or that we you know we continually get from from clients, kind of fall under the broad heading of what are, what do I do to be safe, you know, and mm-hmm. and and you you covered a lot of those for us last spring when we talked, but you know I I think I think all of that needs to be reinforced. How do I know that uh, an email is safe? How do I deal with my passwords? What do I do about viruses? I don't know how how you want to you want to tackle those one at a time or as a group or how you want. Yeah, why don't I why don't I give a hit list? If we think about what's safe in an email, is this email legitimate? Is this email, uh, you know, is, is this email a valid email or 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 someone trying to trick me, bamboozle me, pull the wool over my eyes? Mm-hmm. The biggest thing to think about is that there is never an email emergency. so the first thing is to just stop don't do anything until you've considered all the until you've considered all the potentials email has created an immediacy in our society that works against us and Mm -hmm. when someone's trying to trick you fish you steal your information they're relying on that need for immediacy so rewind the tape back to 20 years ago when we didn't have cell phones we didn't have text messages and we didn't have the email. Mm-hmm. If you go back to that 20 years, you go, oh yeah, you know, like people would pick up the phone and call or they send a letter and it was okay that things would take four to eight hours to get back to, right? Like they'd fax or something, right? It wasn't right. immediate at all. If it was really, really important, they'd come by my office. <laughs> yeah. Go back to that sort of a mindset when it comes to anything in an email saying urgent, important, immediate, you have to take action right now. If it sounds like a sales pitch, it's a sales pitch. <laughs> so stop first and consider intent second. And by intent, what is the email? What is the person trying to get you to do? If they're trying to get you to follow a link, if they're trying to get you to open an attachment, if they're trying to get you to enter information, if they're trying to get you to do something, is that something normal? Huh, someone's asking me to go verify my password. That's not normal. They're asking me to verify my social security number. That's not normal. They're asking me to open this thing that I wasn't expecting. That's not normal. So if Dave, if you got an email from me saying, Dave, open this email and look at this attachment and you weren't expecting that, it's an abnormal email. Instead of just doing it, it would be a stop and say like, okay, well, normally Ian would let me know that he's going to send me something. I would have spoken to Ian. I wouldn't just get something out of the blue from him saying, hey, here's this thing. We would instead have a, have a conversation around that. That's uh, that, that, that's kind of a, a good trigger point to reach out. If you know the person, reach out to them. If you don't know the person, delete the email. 
Yeah. There's other things you can do. You can expand what's called the header, the to field, and, and look at the email address. It might say from Ian Richardson, but then it's from Ian Richardson at Doberman at RussiaDomain.ru or whatever, which can, mm-hmm. which can trigger some things. But really, if you think about the intent of an email, that's the big thing to think about. Um, it's never safe to email anything sensitive. So identifiable information, your social security number, passwords, credit card numbers, stuff like that. Do not put that in an email unless that email is encrypted. If you don't know if the email is encrypted, it's not encrypted. That's the way to... (laughs) If you don't know if your email is encrypted, then it's not, right? You'll know when uh, when it's encrypted. You're going to have to log in. You're going to have to do something specific. So chances are if it's... uh, not something you would want to leave on a, on a coffee shop table. You shouldn't put it in an email. Absolutely. You have no idea who's going to handle that email as it goes from me to you. Uh, when you send something across the internet, it's the internet. So once it leaves the safety of your desktop or laptop computer, it's out there in the wild. And people who have the know-how and, and desire can absolutely intercept emails, they can intercept communication, they can intercept web traffic. There's a very well-defined methodologies to, uh, to fake and, uh, and intercept information and decode that information and be able to use that against each other. If you're at a McDonald's or a Panera or a whatever, a hotel public Wi-Fi, user beware on whatever you do on that. It's much safer these days to, uh, to use your cell phone and keep your cell phone around and use your hotspot for, uh, for needs or just use your cell phone data because that is a private connection versus using publicly accessible wireless. If you're on public Wi-Fi, the only thing I would ever do is uh, like read the news and stream some Netflix. That's all I would ever use on it. I wouldn't necessarily be doing any sort of business or financial information on that. Passwords are an interesting bear. Uh, Passwords are kind of going the way of the typewriter these days. So do you want to use a password for everything? Yes. Should it be a good secure password? Absolutely. Big fan of the passphrase. So think about a sentence versus a word. Mm -hmm. Um, So try to, you know, favorite quotes from scripture, a, a poem, Something like that. It's it's way better to use a passphrase. So think like twenty plus characters versus a word mm-hmm. that you can Mind remember. Me. Always use a unique one per uh, per website per system. Look into password managers if you want help with managing those passwords for you. Much more important than a password these days is two factor or multi factor. Two factor is when that website, that application, that system, it'll text your cell phone. It'll send a push to an app, uh, Google Authenticator, Microsoft Authenticator, Duo, something of that nature. It'll it'll buzz your phone uh, saying, hey, are you trying to log into this system? Some sort of extra step before you're able to log in. So you used your username, you used your password, and then you had to enter a PIN code or something like that. That Mm -hmm. multi-factor authentication is as close to a silver bullet as we have these days. There is no magic pill. There is no catch-all item. But Microsoft, which is one of the biggest security companies in the world these days, 
because of their scope and impact and how many people use them, estimates that 99.9%, so not 100%, but really, really close to attacks could have been prevented by multi-factor authentication. 99.9% of successful attacks would have been prevented. That's an impressive statistic. Yeah. It's not universal, but it's close enough for jazz. So get that get that <laughs> two-factor authentication turned on. One thing around it, like a lot of systems will text your phone or call your phone or whatever, and that's okay. But that method is not as secure as using an application. So again, an authenticator like Google or Microsoft are free ones that, that people can use, or maybe you might have one that's provided by your work. You know, Dave and Nick are very familiar with Duo. That's a really great application. Try to use the application ones, the ones that will generate a code or, or send a, a notification to your phone versus the text message one. The text message is better than nothing, but it's been proven that even the two-factor text messages aren't as secure as we all hope they would be. Yeah. I've heard that so, that can be uh, faked in an extreme, extremely sophisticated yeah. hackers. Can, it, it really can. So something's better than nothing. Yeah, something's better than nothing. Think about uh, think about how how many steps you can kind of put in between you and a hacker. You want to be the difficult house to break into. If you think about a burglar on a road, if your house is well lit and has a barking dog, and has a fence, and has an alarm system, and really nice doors, and maybe like those security storm doors over everything, and some bars over the windows. And the guy next door is dimly lit with no fence, and the front door is wide open. Which one am I going to go steal from? You want it to be the guy down the road, not you. So you want to put as many barriers to entry. It's really the, the onion is the old uh, the the old adage of you got to peel back an onion, and you have to peel back as many layers as you can before you get to the core. That's kind of the way to view it these days. You want to have layers of security around you, your family, your your important documents and and systems. One thing that I get asked periodically is, uh, you know, hey, I think something happened. I think I goofed. Right. The and that was an email that would always come to Ian not through the Doberman service desk. Like that would be when my cell phone would ring, I would get a text message, my email would blow up. Someone would call me directly is like, hey, Ian, do you have a second? I think I got a problem. And invariably, whenever someone did that phone call, I was like, okay, I know exactly where this is going. (laughs) So, So what do you do if you've been hacked or you think you've been hacked? Uh, first rewind the tape back. Like what happened? Did you do an action, right? Did you click on the link in the email? Did you submit some information? Did you do something? Okay. Take stock of what you did first. Then say, okay, well, if I did something and this wasn't legitimate, what did I just give away? Did I give away my email username and password? Did I give away my credit card number? Did I give away my social security number, right? Scope the impact of what you've done and see if it's reversible. So if you gave someone your email password, log into, like close everything down on your laptop, reopen it up, log into your email fresh right away and change your email password immediately. Mm -hmm. 
Turn on two-factor authentication if you didn't have it turned on already, immediately. Take those extra steps and then kind of watch and wait. So if it was a password to a system, change the system, like close your browsers down, open a new browser, change your, change your password right away, and kind of watch that system like a hawk for a couple of weeks. Not a couple of days, a couple of weeks. Nothing happens, hey, you kind of mitigated the damage before something, before something occurred. Again, remembering that there's kind of two types of actors. There's actors that launch attacks, and then there's actors that grab credentials. If you were hit by someone who's really like sending out 10,000 of these emails every day, you might mm. not be processed right away. So you've got a little a window where your credential was compromised before someone takes advantage of it. So if you accidentally goofed, but then you hop right on it and you changed your password within a minute or two minutes or 10 minutes, you might not have that big of damage. If it's something bigger like a credit card number or a bank account details or whatever, contact the institution that, that issues your credit card, freeze the credit card. If it's your bank account, you can call your bank and say, I think my account number has been compromised. I need you to hold all checks, hold all transactions, etc. Use your institutions. You can always open a new bank account. You can transfer your funds, everything like that. But reach out early and start that conversation early. We, uh, think we like, well, actually this week got a call from a client like that. Actually, a, a business who's, uh, where we have their retirement plan was worried mm -hmm. that they had been compromised. And just, just us knowing that, hey, if you get a distribution request or anything for one of these accounts... Just be extra vigilant and, and verify, uh, you know, just, just us knowing that that's out there puts us on a little heightened, heightened level of uh, awareness for that client. We're, we're watching exactly. but, but the fact they called us was, was very helpful. Well, and, that's, and so that's the next step, right? If it's an identifiable thing, so if it was more your social security number or personally identifiable information, need to let your key partners in your world know. Right. So you need to call Nick and Dave and Jeff and say, hey, like this happened. My social security might be out. Like something, something has occurred. You need to reach out to the three credit reporting bureaus and put freezes on your credit. That stops anyone from being able to open a credit card or take out a loan or do something in your name without extra verification steps. Yeah. You need to reach out to your financial institution, your mortgage institution, other, uh, other things, potentially um, key, key vendor partners of yours, your accountant, things like that, and let them know, hey, there are like, I, I think I've had identity compromise. There are identity compromise watch services. LifeLock was a big one back in the day. And, and yes. to everyone on the call that this is not an endorsement of LifeLock. It's just a name I've heard. They have also been breached and hacked. So <laughs> take that as you will. Those identity or credit monitoring services can be useful. But really, I would, I would reach out to the credit bureaus and, and do a freeze. That really does lock down the ability for anyone to do anything against your credit without you knowing about it. Unfortunately, if you've had your personally identifiable information out there, that's, that's it. It's out there. You just have to be vigilant. And I don't know if this is uh, 
helpful or harmful to the listeners. So your mileage may vary. Take it with some salt. I, everyone who's listening to this, your information's already out there anyways. Between the Experian hacks and Target and Home Depot and all of that, everybody's information's out there anywho. So just be vigilant on that. Take extra steps. You really can prevent a lot of damage personally by putting freezes on your credit anyways as a proactive measure. There's rarely a credit card opening emergency or car loan emergency or home refinancing emergency. If you're willing to say, hey, instead of having something done right now today, I'm willing to have it take two or three days, you can minimize a large amount of risk in your world. Just be, be vigilant. Think about the scope of what you've done. Think about what you've given away or what access you might have presented to someone and then take, like, take response steps. Don't just sit there like a, like a stick in the road. Get up and do something about it. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Ian. You know, everybody's information is out there and everybody needs to be vigilant in doing this stuff because you just never know when it's going to circle around. But you should know that it will at some point. So you be ready 100%. for that. So one of the questions that has come up um, from clients as well is technology move us move so fast. We're getting new technology. What do we do with the old stuff? <laughs> can I throw that in the garbage can? Do it? Does something need to happen to that? Do I burn it in the in the barrel out back? <laughs> let's talk about data security. Let's talk about the environment. Electronics are bad for dirt, and they're bad for critters, and they're bad for rivers and streams. So please, 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 as uh, as someone who likes this pale blue dot that we all live on, recycle responsibly. Any major recycling center will have, and also major scrapyards will take your electronic equipment for little to no cost. So especially computers, phones, et cetera, they will take that equipment and recycle it responsibly. They'll break it down and reuse those materials instead of having it go into a landfill and leach into groundwater and stuff like that. Environment aside, It depends on what type of device, what might be on it. So if you have a small printer or a screen or a TV or a game system or something like that, something that you didn't really use to do data processing on at your home, that thing doesn't have data on it. The printer, the printers that we keep at our home, the little ink jets, the screens, the physical monitors, your TVs, whatever, those don't have data stored on them or not material data. It's okay to just take them to a recycling center and recycle them. Your laptop, the tower part of your desktop, your cell phones do have data on them. Anything you did on it is stored on that device. So on your phone, that's all your pictures. Your emails might be stored there. Your spreadsheets or Word documents might be stored there. Your financial information might be stored there. So phones are pretty simple. You can reset your phone to factory defaults. So if you have an iPhone, you can just go to Google and type in reset iPhone to factory defaults. If you have an Android, type in your phone. If it's a Samsung Note or a Google Pixel or whatever, type in the model of your phone reset to factory defaults, there will be a step-by-step guide available online to walk you through how to reset that device. Once you've reset it back to factory defaults, you can go recycle it. A really easy place to recycle these, when you're buying your new phone, they'll usually recycle your old phone for you. 
Mm-hmm. They're usually happy to do that at Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, etc. You might even be able to get a trade-in off of it if it's not too old. Laptops and desktops. Depending on where it is, the hard drive in those machines might be removable. It might not be removable. Chances are if it's a tablet like an iPad or a Surface or whatever, if your laptop's really, really, really thin, it probably doesn't have a removable hard disk. And uh, you either need to wipe the machine yourself or get someone to wipe it for you. Uh, If you're not familiar with how to wipe a machine to securely delete data on the machine, then nieces, nephews, sons, daughters, grandkids are a good place to start. Local repair shops, a thing like a Best Buy or um, a Staples Office Depot, etc. could do this for you. Someone who focuses on residential support can wipe your uh, wipe your system for you. Be careful about hunting on like a Craigslist or a Facebook on there unless it's a legitimate business. There's a legitimate business presence. I would usually look for someone with a storefront if you're doing an independent. There are a lot of really good independent guys who focus on uh, on residential support, but look for one with a storefront, not for someone who's working out of their car. You just want to you want to make sure that there's a there's some validation there. But IT professionals exist in the residential space and they can help you securely delete your data. A budget for that's usually under $100. And it might seem like a lot to pay someone to just $100 to destroy something. But what's the damage if all of your information on the device got out to everyone on the planet? Chances yeah. are $100 is, is a steal of a deal now when you put it in scope. Have someone securely wipe the device so you can, uh, you can get rid of it. If you want to go the old-fashioned route, take it out back and shoot it with a shotgun. Chances are you'll have destroyed the, div- you'll have destroyed the data. <laughs> like that's, there's, there's always the, there's always the, the low-tech methodology of, of physically destroying the device. If you break it really, really good, Chances are the data's gone. Yeah, or it won't be won't be worth the effort anyway. Wow. <laughs> there you go. I'm sure you made a lot of our some of our listeners happy with that idea. That's I'm right. Sure there's a few of them that can get behind that for sure. I don't want to spend a hundred bucks. Well, then you've got target practice at least. But please go pick up the pieces and recycle it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There it's fine go. to have some fun. Don't just leave it out there. <laughs> I, I I can feel our uh, disclaimer page growing for this. <laughs> yes, yeah. I am not advocating for this. Please practice fire and safety. <laughs> so uh, don't discharge a firearm within city limits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Follow all rules yeah. and guidelines. I guess uh, in, in kind of closing and wrapping this all up, let's say I want to do business with a company and that involves my personal information. What steps can I take as an individual to make sure that the, bi- the business that I'm using is following some of these protocols that we talked about? Are there things we can look for? Yeah. So um, a good first step is to ask, hmm. right? Like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about retaining you. I, I you know. Nick, Dave, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to give you my money to invest online and, and, and invest and help grow my retirement. Could you walk me through how you keep my data safe? A normal company that is involved in there will be able to answer some of those questions. 
don't be surprised if you're talking to a financial advisor or a lawyer or an accountant, they're not a technology professional either. So they might say like, hey, here's a high level thing. And if you like, I can bring in our technology professional to talk more in detail with you. That's great, right? Like that's a, that's a, good, that's a good bellwether right there when someone says, hey, here's a high level. And right. if you'd like, we can get, you know, we could have our IT professional or security professional detail it out more for you. So a good first step is to ask. Really what you're looking for is people who are doing multiple steps to, uh, to protect data. So, hey, we use, you know, we, we use multi-factor authentication for systems. Those systems are, you know, if, if we're talking about financial advising, right? We, uh, they might detail out some of the compliance steps they use. They might talk about their broker dealers or, um, or the custodians and what, what security the custodians use. They might talk about systems and controls. So I have access to this, but I don't have access to that. Someone else in our organization does that. So checks and balances, kind of same, th- same way the government works. You can have checks and balances in an organization. So one person might handle your credit card information while another person handles the bank account that receives payments or whatever. Systems and controls, checks and balances, looking for multiple ways that they secure their systems, that they're partnered with a technology professional uh, or a technology company that might be helping them keep an eye on cybersecurity. Those are all good bellwethers. An organization that's serious about cybersecurity should be able to at least answer two or three different things and then be able to offer to put you in touch with their cybersecurity firm that they use to help secure. A good red flag is someone who says, oh yeah, well, we, we, you know, we, we've got that covered. We've got that covered. And isn't willing to share any sort of information about that. If someone's not very transparent, if they're closed down, that's a good red flag for me. Or someone who would dismiss the concern. That's a, that's a good red flag as well. Hey, that makes sense. That's a, a good information. You know, definitely, I think people are afraid to ask that question. I would say, you know, we've gotten a couple of people that have asked us about cybersecurity. We're always happy to share, you know, kind of what we do. And, and we're even more happy to uh, talk about our uh, cybersecurity firm and have them talk to them. Because as you said, you know, Dave and mm-hmm. I are technology people. So, but we have technology people. We know what our weaknesses are. We know, you know, how to kind of fill out our team to make sure we're covered and happy to make those introductions. But I think people all too often are afraid to ask those questions for fear of, you know, looking dumb um, or something along those lines. And I, you know, I always appreciate those questions. So that's a great tip, Ian. Yeah, it's one of those things I, uh, I come from a sales, uh, a pretty heavy sales background. And so you can always tell a sales guy versus a non-sales guy when the sales guy is willing to ask the dumb question, the quote unquote right. dumb question, because usually yeah. the dumb question is the most important question. Yeah. And it really scopes yeah. things out. In education, the, the line is the bad, the only bad question is the one you didn't ask. Like we are all people. We all have things we care about. We all have people we care about. We all are out there making money, trying to scrape together a little piece of heaven for ourselves. 
while we're while we're out there doing this, everybody can relate to, hey, like this is important to me. This is my financial future. This is my this is my this is my family. This is my legacy. I want to make sure it's protected. Nobody that I could imagine partnering with is going to be annoyed or upset or unwilling to say, well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how we keep you safe. That's a fundamental piece of any sort of business relationship is how am I going to keep you safe? How am I going to make sure that the outcome you're hiring me for occurs? Someone should be able to articulate that for you. And if they're not willing to, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big indicator that at least, at least for Ian Richardson, Ian Richardson personally, um, I'm running to the door. No, I, I definitely hear you there. That's fantastic. So, you know, as Ian said, if you have questions or concerns, feel free to uh, shoot to Dave Ryan an email. You can email us at info at srbadvisors.com and we'll either um, be able to answer your question, um, maybe, but more than likely put you in touch with the people that can answer your question and make sure you're getting the advice that you need. So feel free to reach out on that. Don't be afraid to ask those uh, questions about around cybersecurity to make sure you're protected. And Ian, I want to thank you again for joining us. This has been fantastic. Um, you know, we'll probably have you on the podcast again, I'm sure in, in the future to, to rehash some of this stuff and see what's changing. So um, appreciate your support and appreciate you being here today. Well, I really appreciate the the opportunity to spend t- some time with you, Nick and Dave. And, and it's always, uh, it's always my privilege to be able to to chat with your audience and your clients to talk about how we can help all all each other keep each other safe. So it's rising tide. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.